I was so thankful that we get to gather in this way and, and come around the name of Jesus. And I'm so grateful and thankful for everything that God has done over these last few moments and thankful for what he's going to continue to do as we continue to push forward. And one more time, if you are new here, welcome. So glad that you're here. So excited that you would choose to join us today. And please remember, do us a favor and stop by the welcome tent on your way out this morning. We have something uh, that we want to put in your hands. Just a small way for us to say thank you. Uh, we're not going to spam you or anything like that with that connection card. Uh, we'll, we'll say thanks for coming to hang, but don't worry. We're not going to show up at your house or, or anything uh, like that. And here's one more thing I do want to make us aware of. Um, we have Belong Group Leader training. And so if you're like, yo, I want to host a Belong Group. Belong Groups are our small groups here uh, at the church. It's, it, we love the Sunday morning gathering. Uh, but, but Sunday is awesome, but it's also what happens between the Sundays. And so that's getting uh, in, in groups together, doing life together, and learning the people that you're sitting next to. So we turn these rows into circles, and we do life together. And uh, we do that through an avenue called Belong Groups. And so if you want to lead a group, uh, please go to the leader training that's happening uh, today, 15 minutes following the gathering. And you can get all the information about what that looks like and, and all those uh, details. And, and even if you're not sure... Just go to go hear the information. So going doesn't mean you're just like, yo, I'm going to do this. It's just going to hear what it's uh, about, but I want to encourage you uh, to do that. Well, church, we are in week three of our collection called Becoming. And, you know, this whole year we're talking about uh, preparation. How, how do we prepare for what God has called us to as a church community? How do we prepare for what he's called us to uh, in our lives individually? And so the central question of the series is who are you becoming? Like that's the question right there that we're working through, that we're navigating through to answer. Who are you becoming? Because it's important to pay attention to who you are becoming. And what's really great is that the Bible gives us a strategy of how to become or how to grow. And it's a strategy that we saw Jesus live out and modeled himself. Because, uh, you know, we know about, you know, Jesus being born. We know about, you know, adult Jesus and the signs and wonders and miracles and all those things. But what happened in between that? Luke 2.52, it talks about that, how Jesus grew in wisdom, uh, he grew in stature, he grew in favor with God and man. In other words, he grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew relationally. So we're given a strategy on how to become. And one of the key elements about uh, becoming, even from a young age, we're kind of conditioned for this, this idea of calling. Or you, you get a little kid and they want to be a nurse, they want to be a doctor, they want to be an engineer, they want to be a basketball player, a football player, all these things like, hey, I'm going to be this when I grow up. I think one of our kids wants to be a paleontologist, did I say that right? The dinosaur folks, they want to do that. And I'm like, eh, but you know, cool, you know, Lord, what the Lord call you to. Um, but we're conditioned from a young age to discover that. But how many of you guys know, we don't necessarily discover it at a young age. It's a journey. It's a process of discovering identity and calling. And here's some things that, that we encounter on that process. One, a calling requires a choice. We're going to have to uh, respond to the calling and to that process of, are we going to choose what culture and the world and everything that is thrown at us? Or are we going to choose the word of God? And, and what are we going to do in those moments of temptation to choose a counterfeit calling versus a God calling? Also, we got to look at um, failure, that, that sometimes who we are not will reveal who we are, meaning embrace failure. It's okay to go on this journey, 
and fail. It's okay to start that business and it, and it crumbles. It's okay to release that book and, and, and nobody bought it because those moments are, are revealing something deeper, something more of, of a discovery of who you are. And you saw that with, like, with John the Baptist where he got three no's when he was questioned who he was before he got to a yes. So don't be afraid of, of, of failure. But then also it's embracing moments that we may call insignificant. And, and changing our perspective around insignificant and significant. That oftentimes it's the insignificant moments that matter. Because those insignificant moments, they prepare us for the significant moments. I think about David, who was just this shepherd, young teenager, taking care of his flock. And when they would be attacked by lions or bears, he'd take them out. But then when there, a moment came for him to face Goliath because nobody else wanted to, he had the confidence to face Goliath because he had saw what God had did in him and through him when he faced lions and bears. But those moments could have just been, he could have looked at that as insignificant. And so the, the, the problem that could happen for you and I is that if we don't embrace the insignificant moments, that when the significant moment comes, we're not prepared. And so let's reframe and let's change our perspective around insignificant and significant. And so today, as we continue this collection and working through this question, who am I becoming? We're going to use Matthew 17, 14 through 21 to help us guide us in that conversation. And so if you can turn with me there, flip with me there, scroll, however you're going to get there, or you can connect here on the screen. Uh, let's read that. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21. It says this, verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and is often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Can you imagine the disciples right now? Like, couldn't you just say I tried something else and it didn't work? Why you had to call us out? <laughs> so look what Jesus says in verse 17. This is to the disciples. He said, you old faithless, and that's how I read it. You old faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy here to me. That's, that's how I see it. Let me show you how to do this, son. Then verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. They didn't want to be put on blast. They had already been put on blast earlier. See, the Bible, I love the Bible. If you like this book, you got, you got to read it differently. You got to find the right translation, not because the translation is changing the truth of it. It's helping you to read it and understand it. But, man, there's so much in here. I, I mean, can you imagine this moment? Hey, ask them now. Don't ask them now. Ask them later. Oh, dude already put us on blast. But they came to him privately. And they said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to him, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then he goes on to say, however, this kind, 
this thing that you're dealing with, this thing that you're facing, this thing that's been giving you resistance, this thing that you can't figure out, this thing that you've been asking all the questions and can't seem to find the answer. This is why. Because this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Thank you, Michael. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this moment that we share together. God, thank you for the time uh, that we have. Lord, we ask that over these next few moments, Lord, that you incline our ears. God, allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. God, allow us to see. Open up our eyes. Allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. Lord, we, we say this. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, come on. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. So the question, the central question that we're asking is, who are you becoming? And this is week three. The series continues to to, uh, next week. But I'm going to go ahead and drop a spoiler alert. The answer to who we are becoming or supposed to be becoming is like Jesus. That's it. All right. It's awesome. Y'all go ahead. Head home. We'll see you later. But we're called to become like Jesus, to live, love, and lead like Jesus, to live, love, and look like Jesus. We're called to become like Jesus, but the process of becoming like Jesus is called spiritual formation. And there's a theologian named Dallas Willard who defines spiritual formation this way. He says spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So in other words, spiritual formation is being formed spiritually into becoming like Jesus. So it's, are you tracking? It's, it's being formed into becoming like Jesus. So, so the minute you say yes to Jesus, it's not like, boom, you're like Jesus. But there's, there's this process, there's spiritual formation that must take place for us to, to look like Jesus. And the way we become like Jesus is to, to follow him, to apprentice under him. He's our teacher. He's, he's our great example that Philippians 2 uh, talks about. And when you think about, you know, Jesus, he, he's a rabbi. And, and even this word discipleship is, is not uh, exclusive uh, to Christianity, that, that, that word was used uh, in, in writings before the, uh, the Bible uh, was, was penned. There, there were other different types of, of teachers uh, that had uh, disciples, or a better word for it would be apprentices. And as an apprentice, uh, you uh, apprentice under someone who's a master, a great teacher at what they do. Uh, so, for example, uh, if you want to become a master electrician, you will apprentice under a master electrician. And you would follow them and watch them and see everything, how they do, how they respond to things. And, and even in the time of Jesus, it, w- it would be talked about that as a disciple, that you will walk so close to your rabbi, to your teacher, that their dust would kick up in your face. And so as an apprentice under Jesus, our goal is to reorganize our lives around living the way that Jesus lived. And when you pause and you examine the way that Jesus lived, you can see that there were certain practices that he lived out that have become models for how we should live. 
And by practices, here's, here's what I mean. The practice of discovering identity and calling, which we talked about last week. In Matthew chapter 3, right, right towards the end, we see this moment where the heavens open up and, 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 and God declares that this is my beloved son who I love and I'm well pleased in. And in that moment, it wasn't just identity that was happening. It wasn't just the father declaring identity on the son, but it was also God saying, here's your identity and this is your calling. And from that moment on into Matthew 4 and beyond, we see this is where Jesus steps into his public ministry. And so Jesus goes on this, has this practice of discovering identity and calling. And all throughout the Gospels, you, you will see Jesus always going back to uh, who he is, that, that I don't do anything that the Father doesn't do. That is not about what I want to do, but it's about what the Father wants to do. That's the discovery of identity and calling. You'll also see uh, the, the practice of silence and solitude. How often would Jesus just get away? The disciples would be looking for him like, where is he? And he's off away in silence and solitude. Or the practice of prayer. Oftentimes, we see these miracles of Jesus. They, were, they, they followed a moment of prayer. But in, in the practice of hospitality, how often do we see Jesus gathering around a table? Different practices for us to apply and model to our lives. And so here's what I'm saying. We become like Jesus by practicing the way of Jesus. So even this idea of being a Christian, like, like that's, that's great, and we see Christian appear in Scripture often, but the word disciple actually appears more. The word saint actually appears more. We, we are practicing the way of Jesus. We are followers of the way of Jesus. So the practice that we want to talk about today is the practice of fasting. Everybody's like, oh, you talking about, you mean don't eat. <laughs> Here's the definition of fasting. Fasting is a spiritual practice that helps focus our attention on God. It's a spiritual practice that helps focus our attention on God. And know this, there's a war for your attention. And all the, the major social media platforms are at war right now to gain your attention. So there's a war for our attention and spiritual uh, fasting is a spiritual practice that helps focus our attention on God. So here's some things about fasting. Fasting is not about getting from God, but it's about getting to God. You know, oftentimes we can approach fast like, oh, I'm fasting for this over these next seven days. Almost sometimes we have this approach with fasting that, that we're making God do something. Well, because I didn't eat, you're going to get me this. But that's not what fasting is. It's not about getting from God, but it's about getting to God. Fasting is not intended to be practiced on its own. This is seven days of prayer and fasting. If you do not pray, you're basically using a system to lose weight. Right? So there, there must be prayer along with fasting. This is just not intermittent fasting that that we're going on. So maybe you have a question of ways to fast or types of fast. And let me say this about it. Consult your doctor first. I don't know if I slept at a Holiday Inn or not, but I'm, I'm not one. 
So there could be reasons why you cannot go without food and things of that nature. So you need to consult your doctor uh, before that. But, but really quickly, here are some types of fast that will pop up on the screen right here. A complete fast, which calls for drinking liquids, uh, only typically water with light juices as an option. Uh, then next we have selective fast. So you may have heard of like the Daniel fast uh, where you are uh, removing certain foods uh, from your diet. And then next we have a partial fast, uh, which this may be something that from, you know, 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. or from sunrise to, to sunset that you're going to uh, abstain from food and you, you'll have a meal uh, at that point. Now, that meal doesn't mean you, you head over to Texas Day Brazil and be like, yo, keep it coming. That's, <laughs> that is not how that works. That's not how that works. <laughs> And then there's, um, we, don't, we don't have it listed here, but uh, there's, a, there's a soul fast and, and some that looks like entertainment, media, social media, things of that nature. But I would encourage you this, whether it's partial, selective, um, or complete, you probably should pull back from some entertainment. You probably should pull back from some social media and some things of that nature. Now, I will say this, because I, I feel like I'm, I, I'm going to have to be a little ratchet in this moment right now. Don't say that you're doing a soul fast just because you don't want to push away the plate, okay? Because I've done that before. I'm a soul fast. I'm going to get off that social media. I don't need social media, but I, I, I do need to eat. And so there's, there's something pushing away the plate, and, I, and I'm not denying that. You know, there's an element of denying your flesh because I, I know social media plays a, a big role in, in our lives in different ways. Uh, I know there's an emerging generation where social media is different than, than my generation and, and others. And so I get that that could actually be a bigger thing for you. But fasting in a biblical sense does include no food, limiting food, pushing away the plate. And so that might not be complete, but it may mean sweets. It, it may mean fried food, it may be, mean no handles or yard. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's it. Not as, not as ratchet as you thought it may be. But really quickly, I just want to help you on this journey. This thing is not about so, so legalistic, okay? Fasting is a matter of the heart. So if you go complete and then you get to seven days, you can't be like, I did it. I ain't no food for seven days. Y'all weak. <laughs> Daniel fast, looking up recipes. No, 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 no. That's not what it's about. It's a matter of the heart. So you can do all that and your heart's not in the place. You wasted some meal opportunities because there's no honor in that. So this is not a legalistic thing. And then if you sit out and then you start and then you mess up, okay, start again right away. Now, don't just throw in a towel and just eat every meal the rest of the day. I'm not saying, I'm going to start on the next Monday. No. Just begin again. Because this is not legalistic. This, this is a condition, a matter of the heart. And have a plan and stick to it. Because that's going to give you success. And know the first, the day one is easy. Two and a half and day three is difficult. And that's where you have to choose. I'm not going to negotiate with myself. So really quickly, some reasons why we fast. Here's why we fast. Fasting makes room for God. Fasting makes room for God. Remember, it's, if, if, if fasting is not about getting from God but getting to God, it must mean that there are some things in the way that keep us 
from God. And so what fasting does, it makes room for God. It helps us identify the distractions that are keeping us from getting to God. So here's a question. What distractions, distractions in your life are currently keeping you from God? What distractions exist in your life that's not allowing you to make room for God? What activities are you participating in? What habits have you developed? What mindsets have you picked up that's not making room for God, that, that are becoming roadblocks or distractions from you getting closer to God? Fasting gives us the opportunity to eliminate those distractions. It's like if you have a crowded garage and you, you see something you need on the other side, you begin to make a path so that you can get to what you need. So look at your life like that. What is crowding the way? What is crowding my path to getting to God? Well, fasting is an avenue that helps us remove those things because it helps us identify what those are. Some things are apparent. and some, In some instances, they're not. But fasting identifies those things. That's why we make room for him. Look what John the Baptist says in John 3, verse 30. He says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. He's talking about the Lord. He must increase, but I must decrease. And, and here's what, what, what John is getting at. He's saying, as I decrease, I experience more of God. So it's not this idea that God all of a sudden got bigger, but this is really the reality that because my focus shifted, my perspective shifted, because, because I got small it seemed like he got bigger, but I'm actually experiencing the bigness, the fullness of who God already is. Are you tracking with me? Because he's consistent. He's constant. He doesn't change. He's been big, <laughs> if you will. But when we decrease his presence, the awareness of him increases in our lives. And so if we want to make room for God, we need to become small. We need to decrease so that he may increase in our lives. And as I eliminate distractions in my life, God becomes bigger, not because he got bigger, but because my perspective of him enhanced. Because when distractions are eliminated, it helps me focus on God. It's like if you have a, a magnifying glass and if I put that over the, the words here in, in, in my Bible, like they're still the same size as they are printed right here. But that magnifying glass, it's allowing my focus to be different. And so that seems like it's bigger. The perspective of it is enhanced and bigger, and I'm seeing it in a different way that I didn't see before. That's what fasting does. It, it, it magnifies who God already is. And I love what James reminds us of in James 4, 8, when he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. So as, you, as we eliminate distractions, as we, we draw closer to God, he's drawing close to us. And I love that because God is not elusive. Whatever you, know, you, you may have heard or thought or been taught about God, we, we don't chase him down. Jesus is the one that leaves the 99 for the one. But what happens as we eliminate distractions and, and we make room for him, as we decrease, he increases. And as we draw close, he's drawing close to us because we're seeing him 
in a different way. We're seeing him in a fresh way. We're seeing him in a way that he has already been. But it starts with us choosing to decrease ourselves so that he may increase. Are you tracking with me this morning? So we must make room for God. Fasting also does this. Fasting gives us direction. Fasting gives us direction. In Acts chapter 13 at the beginning, uh, we, we see this. There's a transition that's taking place. And in the beginning of Acts, you see this, this focus on Peter as, as the leader that's, that's leading the New Testament church as the, the Spirit of God fell and, and all these things. You see leader, excuse me, Peter as the leader. But here there's a transition that's taking place in Acts 13. And the leaders of the church, before this transition happens, they, they are fasting and praying. Look what it says in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Saul is Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So after, here it is again, they have fasted and prayed. Remember, prayer and fasting. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Family, fasting gives insight and direction. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you didn't know what to do? You went and asked everybody and nothing that anyone said made sense. Have you fasted about it? Have you prayed about it? Now, oftentimes we don't fast and pray about something because we feel like that thing is insignificant. But why not submit literally every decision you're going to make to the Lord? Why not hear what, the, what God has to say, what the Lord has to say about something? Prayer gives us direction. Here's another reason why prayer and fasting gives us direction. And before I move on, when we moved here to Huntsville, we knew it was very clear that the Lord called us to move here. Now, we used to live here uh, at, at once, once upon a time. And so it was very odd and weird that God would call us back to Huntsville, to this area. And we didn't know why. And so we landed here. I say landed, but we drove, you know, it was just, we landed here. And it's like, why are we here? And it was like all weird because it was summer of 2020. And y'all know it was so much, so many different things happening. And we went in August, 21 days of prayer and fasting. You talk about, like we were living with, with my parents. It's five of us in the house of my parents, three little kids. Fasting and praying, Lord, we need your grace right there. But it was in those 21 days that the Lord gave us insight and direction on not only why we were here, but why we even left here in the first place. But that direction. And so, and so today, this morning, like we're sitting in that, in that moment. And it actually happened before then, all the way back to June 2017, when God spoke some things that are now being played out today. So prayer gives insight. It gives direction when we pray and fast. So what decisions are in front of you? Here's my advice today. Pray about it and fast about it and see what the Lord wants to speak to you. Here's what fasting also does. Fasting brings the victory. Fasting brings the victory. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, it talks about a king Jehoshaphat calling the people of Judah to a fast. And basically what happened, they were surrounded, unknowing to them. Uh, the enemy has surrounded, completely surrounded them. And when he caught wind of it, it was almost like, yo, it's too late. We're completely surrounded. 
And so he decided, he inquired of the Lord on what to do. And out of that, he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And so the people of Judah came together, verse 4, to seek help from the Lord. It says, indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. It's my prayer that, that the majority of us would, 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 would participate in these seven days of prayer and fasting in whatever way that looks like. To see, what is the Lord saying to you? What is the Lord saying to this church? What is the Lord calling us to do as we step into this next season? But they call, he calls this fast together. And out of that, if you go and read that chapter, they didn't just get victory. They got, it was clear, victory that they had. It was almost as if they went from facing, having an opportunity to face a real opponent to facing TCU. <laughs> that step on some toes there. But that's what God would do, does when he brings the victory. That the things you'll face, like you shouldn't even have been facing them. He gives you the power, like, this is what I was up against. I'm going to make this preach this morning. I lost the room. But look at 2 Chronicles 20, 25. It was a clear victory. It says, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Family, when we fast and pray, God makes the victory very clear, very evident. It wasn't you. It wasn't your best friend. It wasn't your cousin. It wasn't your mom, your dad. It was clearly the Lord. This is what he does. He brings victory. What things have you been facing for so long that if you would just fast and pray about it, that you could experience the victory of God in your life? You don't have to go through that thing much longer if you will submit your flesh and, and get into the practice of fasting and prayer. Because what Jehoshaphat and the people received, they got a strategy. And that's what fasting does. You've been attacking that thing the wrong way, and it hadn't changed. But when you fast and pray, it brings a strategy for victory. But here's what fasting also does in these moments. It's an opportunity to stop fighting some of these battles that aren't yours. Because this is where, in this story, this is where we get the battle is not yours. You heard of that? The battle is not yours, but it's the Lord. This is where they're reminded of that. So when you fast, you're reminded, like, wait a minute. I've been doing this thing in my own effort. That's why there's been no breakthrough. That's why there's been no change. That's why there's been no deliverance. But when I step back, through prayer and fasting and allow the Lord to fight this battle, I can walk in and experience the victory. Does anybody believe that this morning? Clap if you believe that this morning, that the Lord brings victory. Come on. I got to move. I want to hang there a little bit. I got to move on. Here's, the, here's what fasting does. Fasting breaks resistance. And I'm going to be like, wait a minute. You guys been chilled for 11 months, and you're going to go there this Sunday. Fasting just doesn't break resistance. Fasting breaks demonic resistance. Don't hear that word, and then like, I didn't know this was that kind of church. But I'm going to go there this morning. Fasting breaks demonic. Go to the pathway. You, could, you, you discover. But fasting breaks demonic resistance. <laughs> this morning, 
as I'm getting ready to head here to the school, I got here a little bit later than normal, and I go out, I warm my car up, because I know it was cold, so I got the truck warmed up and all that stuff, and uh, the, the kids had a bunch of stuff in, in the truck because they were hanging with my parents yesterday, and you know, they, they gotta have all the stuff. And so, and I don't like all the stuff in my truck, and so I'm getting it all back in the house where it belongs. And all of a sudden, I get in the car ready to go, and it, it tells me that the rear door is, is open on the passenger side. So I just reach across, shut it. It won't shut. I'm like, what in the world? So I'm like, okay, it must be a toy that I didn't get that's blocking it from shutting. I'll go around. There's nothing. I push nothing. So I'm like, the, the thing in the door jam, I guess it's the latch, is messed up. So I'm like, it must be frozen. So I mess with it. Got it shut. I'm like, all right, now let's head to church. Same thing on the passenger side. So I called Katie. I was like, yo, put your jacket on. Come help me. I need some help. I'm trying to get out of here. She's like, well, just take my car. Maybe somebody can take the car and come back and pick me. I was like, no, we don't have time for that. We, we, that's, not, that's not what we're doing. And so it just it ended up working. And I was like, isn't this something? The day we kick off the fast, we get this resistance here. Now, it was cold, so the things could have just latched. So I'm not like, you know, so this is not what it's an invitation to do, to blame everything on the devil. Because some of us, we think too highly of ourselves. He's not, I'm not present. He can't be everywhere. So if you say that's the devil and they say that's the devil, something ain't the devil because he ain't, I'm not present. That's only God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So everything at the devil, you was just late because you didn't get up in time. And the train came because that's the normal flow of the train on old Madison Pike. Is it old Madison Pike? Uh, no. Waldrana, Slaughter. There we go. Sullivan. So you got to get, get up or they can't, he can't be everywhere. Somebody in Missouri is saying the same thing. He can't do that. <laughs> but sometimes it is. There's, there's demonic resistance that we face, and this sometimes is a part of Christianity, at least in America. Other places, they not because they don't have the health care. They don't have the system. They don't have the structure. So when someone gets sick, it's like, yo, we need, we need to pray. But we get a little bit spoiled here, and so we don't want to embrace some things because of technology and things that we have. But the reality is it, it exists, and because we can't pick and choose which part of the Bible is the full counsel of the word. And Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The darkness of this age. Every generation has a thing. What? Boomers may have face look different. What Xers may have face look different. What, what millennials may have face look different. What, what Gen Z faces and what Alpha face. There's this different rulers, different darknesses of the ages. There's also this word principality. Stick with me here. Don't, don't lose. And first time people, like, it's, it, relax. It's all good. This, this is just, this is, this is what we do here, okay, at the Becoming Church. We're going to attack it and bring truth and not make it weird. But I can't do a disservice and not talk about it. Are you tracking with me? Because if we're preparing, if we're being formed, then we need to em embrace it. And then ask God to help us to be able to embrace it. And then not just pause on what I say, but then to get in Scripture for yourself and see what it says. All right? But it says, against principalities. So the word prince there, it means ruler or prince is a ruler. And palady means like city, um, government, some structure. So in other words, rulers of cities. And so there, there are principalities over every city. 
So that's how you can be, you know, here in Huntsville, Madison, whatever. We can be in this area, and it feels different here. You drop down to Birmingham, and it feels different in Birmingham. It feels different in Montgomery. It feels different in Nashville. It feels different in Denver. It feels different in all these different cities because there's different principalities over cities. Are you tracking with me? One of the things here in our city is this idea of intellect, that, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm intelligent, I'm smart. It's, it's not consistent with just how this formula and structure should say it be. So can God really do those things because there's not an equation or a formula or intellect or some kind of system or structure that I can put this into? But that may not be the case in some other city. This is a city of thinkers, which is a good thing. But in some instance, if we're not careful, we'll think ourselves out or intellect ourselves out of the ways of God. The scripture says in in, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, who's intelligent that they can inform God? Who, who has the, the mind of God that they can tell him things, right? So we got to be careful with that, but that's the thing over our city. Here's what, principal, here's, here's what these rulers, and, and there's even ranks to these things, right? Powers, rulers, all these things. There's, there's a ranking structure to it, and here's what their job is. It's to interrupt what God is doing. They're territorial. So that means... There's things in your life that the enemy is not going to be excited about. And so there's going to be some resistance that you face. But as Ephesians 6 tells us, we, we stand, we put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth. We, we stay ready with the, with the shoes of the gospel, and we carry the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, out of all those pieces of armor, they're all defensive except for the sword of the spirit. It's offensive. So that means the weapon that we use in the resistance that we face is the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through bone and marrow, able to discern the heart and intentions of men. Right? We carry and use our weapon. It's like we talked about last week. We respond with the it is written like Jesus did to the tempter. We respond with the word of God. But we're going to face resistance. The enemy's not going to like what the Becoming Church is doing. And every level that we go to, every level that you move and advance to, there's going to be a different type of resistance that you face. But I don't say this to freak us out. I say this to remind us of what fasting does. When we face opposition, the response is to fast. And here, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10 Daniel had been praying and fasting for 21 days when in a vision, this messenger comes to him and says this in verse 12, 10, 12. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I have come in response to them. This is during a season of prayer and fasting. But listen what he says, what kept him from getting to him. Verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So for 21 days, so when you're facing resistance or maybe that coworker, that person, it's not them. Remember, it's not against flesh and blood. 
But there is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle that's going on. So for 21 days, there was a spiritual battle going on. So when this messenger couldn't do it, Michael had to come. And on the 21st day, that word that Daniel had been praying for and looking for got to him. Here's my question. What if Daniel was never in a season of prayer and fasting? How long would it have taken that resistance to break? How long would it have taken for that word to get to him. So here's the point, family. Over these next seven days, and and not even just the seven days, I'm encouraging us to pick a day every single week to pray and fast because fasting is not seasonal. Fasting is a lifestyle. And so we need to do this every single week. But think about what happens in these seasons of prayer and fasting. Resistance breaks. And so as we close today, Mike, if you'll come, I don't want us to, as I just alluded to, I don't want us to treat fasting like our taxes, you know, something that we do at the top of the year, and then we'll think about it later on. But I want it to be a daily practice, a weekly practice in some kind of way. And maybe you set aside Wednesday. You're right there, you started the week off, and you're right in the middle of that week. And you pick Wednesday as a day that you're going to fast. We're we're praying every day. But you're specifically fasting and praying. Another quote by Dallas Willard as we get ready to get out of here today. He says this, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. So fasting is saying the source of my life is is not the food and other things that I can fill myself with, but the sustenance of life, the source of life is, is my complete dependence and reliance on God. So in other words, fasting is feasting because I'm receiving everything that God has and wants to get to me and do through me. And so as we go on these seven days of prayer and fasting, don't look at this as what you're going without, but look at this as what God is bringing to you. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning?